News, views, opinions, and attitudes. Attitudes. There's actually uh, intriguing talk. You know, they talk about the news. And you have to respect them for that. You're listening to Right On Radio. Right on, right on, right on. Hey, I'm back. We're glad to be in the seat. And I want to give a special thank you to Christy because she knows how guilty I feel leaving <laughs> our audience. So Christy did two amazing interviews uh, last week and uh, and we put them up on Right On Radio. And I want to thank you for doing that, Christy. I, I left with more ease. Good, Jeff. Yeah, we have to make sure that our audience stays not only entertained, but they stay in the know. And man, I've gotten, while you've been gone, Jeff, I have even more information um, that has come forth and things are on fire. So we may have to do a couple of extra episodes if people really want the information. I don't really know if they want the intel or not, but either way, I've got to share a lot about the pedos. Christy, I love your energy and uh, your work ethic. And yes, I will step up and get the information out as well. And I know that our audience wants to uh, get all of this information. So uh, just real quick, uh, had a great time away after four showers since I've been back. I finally got the campfire smell out of my skin. <laughs> it was cold. And, and, and as soon as I... It, Christy, as soon as we packed up to leave, the warm weather came in. <laughs> oh, <that figures laughs> was it sweltering, Jeff, or or was it a, a nice warm? Uh, it, no, it, it it got to you know ninety degrees, which is like, like I love that. Oh, you, you know? do love um, it. But it but it was it was more around. Uh, 60 and then even down to 50 at night. Well, thank God they didn't make it a hundred on you. So otherwise you would have just fallen over like all those cows. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> okay. That's a weapon. <laughs> Let me tell you. That no, that's a... not 5G everybody. <laughs> no, no. They just happen to end up upside down, but uh, you know, that, that does that. <laughs> all together. Hey, it looked like something my uncle Sonny would have done back in the day when they said that he didn't, you know, when he would write off like a cow on his, his taxes, he would literally pull the cow around to different trees and take photos. Sometimes he would even take all the leaves off the trees, you know, to get different photos of the same cow so that he could write multiple cows off on his taxes. So I'm just saying, you know, there's <laughs> things that people really do. Yeah, well, I, I listen. I, all the evidence in this points to an energy weapon. I'm just saying. Uh, and, and look, it's it's so much now. It's 97 food plants and stuff like that. But we we're not going to go down that rabbit hole today because we have the great fortune of having a fantastic guest for you. Um, I'm expecting probably about 50 palms to be dropped. Um, <laughs> And this is someone who's lived it. This isn't just a, a internet researcher, wow. you know, who believes things off of Google. This is someone who's lived it and has the uh, professional accreditations to really know what she is talking about and brings evidence uh, with everything she says. And man, she has been connecting the dots even more since her very first appearance on Right On Radio. And of course, she is the oath-taking truth. Oh, I'm gonna say this wrong. Uh, I think she, people say she's lived it in the physical too, Jeff. We have to say oath, that oath-taking truth teller. That's what it is. 
and uh, just, hey, listen, I'm rusty, folks. <laughs> just a couple <laughs> days away, and and uh, what can you do? But listen, without further ado, it is with great honor that we bring back. And by the way, her camera is off, um, and we do that for her protection, of course. But uh, she is here in audio, and of course, I'm talking about Michelle. Stefanik. Michelle, welcome back. to. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Hi, Christy. Hi, Michelle. Thank you for being here today. Oh, I want to thank you and your audience for this opportunity. This is, this is unbelievable. We are so close, Jeff and Christy. We are so and that's close. where I want to get to because you and I had a conversation last night that we really think that, you know, the end is near. And I'm not talking about the end of the world. I'm talking about the end of the cabal, essentially. Yes. Uh, exposures ramping up. There's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of signs. But, Michelle, because you, you were on the show a few months ago, and people might not remember, or we have new audience members now that don't know who you are, let's take back to what you did in the government mm -hmm. and then you know let's go right back to kenya uh, where where it all starts if you don't mind just giving a brief overview for the audience sure so why is my situation and my story important because this is all about one long continuum and i want to begin with this the truth matters and for this u.s constitutional oath taker american people so do you you also matter because I am one of you. I'm not a researcher, but a firsthand victim and witness that had federal Crime Victims Rights Act accorded protected status. And regardless, I was massively retaliated against. My point being, if I wasn't protected and look what happened to me, do you think you're going to be protected? And most importantly, I didn't ask for any of this, but here I am. I took an oath to defend the U.S. Constitution, not a person, not a president, not a party, against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and across three equal branches of government and beyond. Because yes, common American citizens, too, can be tried for treason. But the deep state, the corruption to all three of, of those branches, of which I have direct linkages, firsthand experience, and standing in a court of law to include a military tribunal against regarding all three and beyond. And that is my point, Jeff. I thought this was just about August 7, 1998, but it's not. It is way beyond. It all connects together. And uh, so let's just talk about, so you were a federal government auditor. Am I correct in saying that? Okay. So uh, when I first came into the government, I worked for um, Defense Contract Audit Agency under the Department of Defense. And that I started out in February, 1988. Uh, no, February, 1987. And then I went over to State Department to work for the State Department's Office of Inspector General in December of 2000, or December, <laughs> December of 1988. Now remember that date, okay? December 1988, okay? Because we're going to get back to this. I then, but before I went over to State Department's OIG, 
when I was with DCAA, I did uh, uh, an audit finding investigative referral from DCAA to DCIS, which is Defense Criminal Investigative Service of a major defense contractor in the Tyson's Corner McLean area. Now, anybody that's familiar with their government knows what the Tyson's Corner McLean area really is. Okay. Michelle, for those please of, please those explain that to the audience. Yeah. Well, that's a major CIA hub. That's a major uh, CIA, you know, intelligence hub. Okay. Because it's not just CIA, right? So I did a referral to DCIS of a major defense contractor regarding black funds. I then handed it over to investigators, but I was the auditor that found it. That pulled and and how much money was in this black funds that you found? These That's black the point. Budgets? That's the point is I was the auditor. So I just found it, said this needs to be investigated and handed over my work papers accordingly for the investigators. Okay. The investigators don't find all this stuff. The auditors are the ones that give them the leads to follow up. So I never, unless, and since I left DOD, I was now at the State Department, my work papers would withstand a court of law on our, stand on its own that they didn't necessarily need to call the auditor back. And plus, given what they may have found, they would not want to because they would not want to release, talk about sources and methods, how it was discovered to begin with. Okay, so do you understand that? Okay, absolutely. Yeah. Then I went over to State Department's Office of Inspector General, which started out. This was the first time that it was statutorily independent. What that means was before the um, the Foreign Service or entities within the State Department, Christy, to your point mm -hmm. of who is actually in the State Department, right? Mm -hmm. And therefore, um, Sherman Funk was the first civil service statutorily independent IG that um, developed independent civil servant auditors and investigators to go out and inspect and audit the Foreign Service, our embassies and headquarters. I was brought in from DCAA because of that. And, and for those people who don't know what DCIA is, can you tell them th th what the acronyms stand for? Sure. For DCAA is Defense Criminal, um, uh, uh, Defense Criminal, no, Defense Contract Audit Agency. And then DCIS is Defense Criminal Investigative Service. Okay. Okay. So then when I was with State Department's OIG, I did audits. And one particular audit, we were at a location and we were under the scope of our audit when we discovered something else. And we came back to headquarters and said, this is the purview of our audit, but we've discovered this. And we're talking about diversion of funds. Should we go back and... 
focus on that or should we, you know? Yeah, I think you should. I think, I think you should just give an overview of that. And then I think our audience should, as Michelle's going through, um, we want her to give an overview so that you guys can get, get an understanding of what all she's been through. And then maybe if you guys can comment, and number one, let us know where you're from and um, tell us what you're most interested in hearing from her next. Right, Jeff? Yeah. So M Michelle's connected so many dots. And, you know, one of the things that she's going to be revealing is, you know, that this uh, this bombing that she was involved. Well, she wasn't involved with. She escaped dying in but lost mm -hmm. a lot of staff. Uh, that really was a precursor to a future event. Right. <clears throat> and it's, it's actually pretty shocking. So uh, let us know in the comments because she has such a wealth of information, um, you know, and we want to cover them one at a time, folks. It's a lot. And by the way, we are in a war and this is important to note. And, you know, a lot of the time because it's a faith-based broadcast, we talk about you know, the, our battles against princes and principalities, and all that is true. Yes. But it's these princes and principalities that are controlling these evil people who call themselves government, and not everyone in the government is evil, but you know the people we're talking about. They are waging a war on the people of the country, you and me. And, and Jeff, and, even people who have taken an oath and they're not defending the oath, they are being treasonous. You know, so I do, I do want to say that. So you're not getting a pass from me. I don't know if you're getting a pass from Jeff and Michelle. Everybody nope. here can speak for themselves. But I'm just going to say, if you're a doctor, you're a nurse, you're whatever you are, if you've taken that Hippocratic oath or the constitutional oath and you are not delivering on that oath, I assure you, you are not getting a pass from me. Yes, you'll get a pass from God and you can ask for forgiveness, but you have a duty to uphold. And like Michelle said earlier, it is not to a president. It is not to a U.S. senator. It is not to your legislature. It is not to your governor. It is not to your mayor. Okay. It is not even to your sheriff. And a sheriff should actually act on these things because that's the way our constitution is set up and designed. And what she's doing is she's bringing it forth because she took her oath very seriously as she well should. Yeah. Amen. So the discovery we, we found was in 1991. Okay. But we were told, you know, it's not in our scope and someone else will handle it. But I put that as a place mark. Okay. So we're going forward with our lives and then all of a sudden, I'm, you know, I'm uh, going through promotion cycles, blah, 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 going into other audits, going into other um, venues in the IG. And then I got to the point where I was highly encouraged to do, oh, I also, one of my audits um, was with the Office of Inspector, Ch uh, Inspector General Oso, Office of Security Oversight. And one of our site visits was to Cuba in October of 1992. What happened 30 years before? Bay of Pigs. Okay. Bay of Pigs. So you see how it's all connected. I can't yeah. even make this stuff up, right? No. So then what happened was I got back from that one particular audit and I was encouraged by a very senior high level official within the State Department, senior foreign service that said, 
you know, Stefanik, your talents aren't needed within the IG. Your talents are needed overseas to help us fix this mess. So he said, if you um, are offered, a, you know, if you want to take an excursion tour out to the Foreign Service to actually work in one of our embassies on loan, we will heavily support that. So from 1993 to 1995, I did my first excursion tour loan out, in essence, to the Foreign Service at Embassy um, Yaoundé, Cameroon, which was regional for Chad, uh, Jamina Chad, as well as Equatorial Guinea, uh, Malabo, Equatorial Guinea. After I got done with that tour, I was supposed to go back to the IG. In the Foreign Service African uh, Bureau basically joked, and at the time I realized it wasn't a joke, they said, Michelle, you know too much. So is it possible for you to do another excursion tour for us? And I said, well, where are you offering me? And so they said, well, you can do the management officer job up in Chad, or you can continue being the senior financial uh, management controller uh, uh, center director, I say controller for the people outside the government that know, know what I'm talking about, um, at Embassy Nairobi, Kenya. And I said, okay, sure. So I took the, I wanted Chad, but my husband at the time said USAID was present at Kenya. So please, can you consider Kenya? So I took Kenya. Kenya, I was regional for the Sudan as well as the Seychelles. Fast forward, I apply to be officially converted into the Foreign Service. In July of 1998, I was officially accepted into the Foreign Service. Before that, I was IG. I was getting ready to leave my assignment in Kenya. I was doing as much last minute travel around the region as I could, thinking that I may never come back to the continent of Africa. I went down to Tanzania, Ungora Crater, Ungorogor Crater. I went up to um, Ethiopia. I was an Orthodox, uh, you know, Orthodox Christian, and I was doing the Orthodox historical route in Ethiopia. And my plane was delayed because I was going to go to Diradawa. And the plane was delayed, and the plane was delayed to the point that I was just going to go down and see a, a Muslim walled city and then come back, like go down in the afternoon and come back early morning. So the longer the flight was delayed, there was no purpose for me to go down because it would soon be dark and I wouldn't see what I was supposed to be seeing. So I decided that I would cancel my uh, tour one day short and I would stay in Addis. And because I did that, I was in Addis at the time of August 7, 1998, the embassy bombings. And this was the first major or, or the most major attack on a U.S. embassy even to date. Is that true? Yes. And um, how many people died there that day? August 7, 1998 is the most devastating attack in our history on our embassies. And... They were located in Kenya and Tanzania to both Queen British Commonwealth countries. So, okay. Michelle, people are people are going to, you know, when when we think of embassies, you know, the biggest one and I'll call it promoted um, was um, the uh, what was the recent one? Sorry, I literally just lost my train of thought. Um, the one that Benghazi. Sorry, Benghazi. So. 
can you Benghazi actually you, we're gonna get to that christy thank you yeah. so much exactly so then fast forward jeff what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna jump to okay i was then in remember when may 1 2011 when we had the supposed capture and kill of bin laden i was stationed in germany with the military with mar for your mar for af which is marine forces europe and marine forces uh, africa in stuttgart germany when the infamous seal team six went in and killed and captured bin laden and did they bury his body at sea <laughs> the navy seals were supposedly deployed from admiral stavridis's where i was at that's where they were deployed from Right? right? And they say that the embassy bomb, this was right, uh, retaliation for our embassy bombing. Right? So yep. all of a sudden, on May 30th, 2011, I receive an email from the Accountable Accountability Review Board, Accountable RSO, Diplomatic Security Agent, Special Agent, Patricia Hartnett Kelly, sending me an email and in this email and you have to understand pat and i were in communications from august 7 1998 until that time continually because i was flown back to attend the trial in new york in june of 2001 we all stayed at the mary uh, the 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 world trade center marriott okay does this all sound familiar <laughs> the first time Pat Kelly sends me an email and asks me, based on media, um, you know, media reporting, that our embassy was a major CIA hub. And she asked me if I knew that. I'm like, no, I didn't know that. Then she implied for the very first time our embassy bombing was an inside job. Mm. And who okay. is this again, Michelle? Patricia Hartnett Kelly was... She was the diplomatic security, the RSO, regional security officer at Embassy Nairobi. Now, this is interesting. She had departed before the embassy bombing even happened. Mm, but okay. Prudence Bushnell was given credit for this infamous cable that she sent out months in advance saying that, you know, putting all the alarms out saying we need a setback. We need to be removed from this location immediately. You know, this is unbelievable. Well, Pat Kelly is the one that drafted the email, right? She left before, months before August 7, 1998. So how she was the one that was being held accountable is puzzling beyond belief to this day for me. But so she sent me the email with all the reporting that was going on about the, um, uh, May 11th, or they want they may want to talk, and I'm thinking, well, oh my well, god, they would they would choose her because she knew something, and so they point the finger at her to not only discredit her but to, to make her a patsy in some way. Voila, yeah. Jeff, you're seeing it, you're seeing it, yeah, okay. And so then I had this information, and after that happened, I was so massively retaliated against. I can't even tell you what all happened to me in Stuttgart, Germany, but I filed a grievance. And we can go down that rabbit hole about that ping-ponging around about the, the grievance that I filed, right? 
So needless to say, um, the Marines got me out early. Uh, they made me depart my post early, right? Instead of protecting me, because one of their Marines died on August 7, 1998, they knew who I was. And if they really knew what all this was about, you would think they would have protected me, not retaliated against me. But after that happened, the, the immensity of the targeting of me to include smashing my car door when I was on official TDY, when it was parked on a U.S. Army garrison, when I was at uh, uh, an exercise for AFRICOM down in Vicenza, Italy. I mean, there's so many rabbit holes, but I want to fast well, forward. Well, just be just before you do, uh, because I don't want to breeze over the bombing. And, and the fact is you were away, and just because of delays and stuff like that, when the bomb went off, that's why you were not in the building. Uh, but there's also, uh, there was some fire fights that were happening. Uh, you know, there was fires inside, there was gunshots inside, and then there were the explosions. And also, uh, I feel like we really need to say it to honor those people, but you lost a lot of staff that day as well. So can you just talk about what happened on that day, just so we cover it off before we move on. Well, but we can come back to it because Jeff, I didn't know everything at that, that time. Right. And so I don't want to give the illusion that I knew more than I knew. I drank the Kool-Aid. I believe, you know, the government said, this is what it was. This was what it was. Mm -hmm. And that's my, that's why I'm, I'm not glazing over it. I'm trying to get to it. This to like my aha moment. Just right. To, okay. Okay. To, how can I say this? To give the American people this, you can forgive yourself. Because if I was swimming amongst the sharks and I didn't see it until I had my aha moment, how in the world would you all have seen it? Right? right? Exactly. So, Listen, none of us were awake. None of us were awake. We believed a lot of this stuff that was told to us. And because it's on TV, it was true. Right. Well, and even but even then, now, don't we think don't we think even some of our military may be asleep, our police officers may be asleep, our firemen may be asleep. So I'm gonna commission everyone to send this interview to anyone that you know that could be in any kind of service, civil service, military, anything, because once they know they can't just sweep it under the rug, which maybe they don't even realize they're sweeping it under the rug right now. And, and Michelle has the proofs of a lot of these things mm -hmm. that are coming up. And even just in some of the documentation that she sent me in advance of this interview, uh, it's very telling. And and when the time is right, let me know. I definitely want to bring up the thing from the Southern District of New York as well. Right. But uh, I Michelle, get, but, I also but I'll let you continue. Very good. Sorry for talking over you. I'm still learning. <laughs> okay. So, Christy. To your point, okay, so I'm going on with my life. I'm like, I'm, you know, I filed my grievance. I left my assignment early, um, and I was working at the Pentagon. And then all of a sudden, the attacks on diplomatic post Benghazi happened. Mm. I not only had my aha moment, I had my ah shit moment. <laughs> I, re I, I was working in the Pentagon. In the Office of Secretary of Defense, in the African Affairs Region, in that office. 
And because of knowing everything that I knew, I'm like, oh my God, I know exactly what this is about. So I reported internally to my office, my security officer, who was U.S. Navy, as well as my director, who was U.S. Navy. We mm-hmm. then reported it to the Office of Secretary of Defense Pol- uh, 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 Security Office. And instead of being protected for a month, even, you know, the Navy commander, captain that came up to me and said, Michelle, have you heard back from anybody? I said, no. She, he said, you're going to need to go to the FBI. I basically, <laughs> my question was just basically just drive me to the Southern District of New York so I get there safely so I can talk to them because I figured out what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. And instead of protecting me, I was massively retaliated against. But meanwhile, more and more things are coming out about Petraeus and Paula Broadwell and, you know, and uh, Carter Ham being arrested by, uh, you know, the, the deputy commander, Lydic, who, by the way, was one of the 9-11 commission, uh, 9-11 participants hearing participants. Okay, you can't even make this stuff up. No. So I then wrote an eight-page hand whistle, handwritten whistleblower protection request letter, eight pages on legal paper. <clears throat> I gave it to the Director General of the Foreign Service at the time, Linda Thomas Greenfield, who is currently Joe Biden's UN ambassador. Okay. It's such she a small was, group. It's she such was a small group. Embassy Nairobi before the bombing. She knew, okay? Then what happened was, then it really got interesting because I had worked with Olympia Snow on my APSA fellowship. I then wrote another handwritten copy and I hand carried it and I gave it to her. She was, of course, on the intelligence community committee. I gave her a copy of it. I took it up to her office. It was totally unscheduled, spontaneous, so that nobody knew it was going to happen. And I went in there, and this was during all the course of the Benghazi hearing. So, okay, this is how real this is, right? So I was sitting in Senator Snow's office, wait, or her, you know, her suite, to see if I can get, to meet with her. Her chief of staff, who I knew John Richter previously because of working for her office, came in and said, um, I said, listen, John, I know this is totally unexpected. All I want is five minutes with Senator Snow. I will sit here till the close of business and walk out with her at the end of the day. I'm not leaving. I've got to give her this envelope. And so he said, okay, let me go see what I can do. And then he came back and and he said, okay, we're going to get you in there. But Michelle, can I see the envelope? And I gave him the envelope and I said, John, here's the envelope. It's double sealed and it's inked so that anybody that opens it, I said, John, do you have children? He said, yes, I do. I said, I know you do. Do not open the contents of this envelope. Give this directly to Senator Snow. And he said, okay. And then he got me in there. I sat with her for five to 10 minutes. She could not believe it. Um, Then I left. She then contacted the inspector general's IG, who by the way, is now one of the uh, lawyers that are doing the January 6th commission hearing. Okay? <laughs> you can't even make this stuff up. No, right? you can't. You can't. Because it's such a But you know what? When, when you get proved loyal in a dirty deed, you get promoted in this inverted world. 
That's right. I was contacted by somebody in the IG, the Inspector General's IG, right? And Teresa Whalen contacted me because she had been contacted and she was in ONI, the uh, no, a DNI at that point in time with the African Affairs portfolio. She contacted me. They the uh, the Inspector General IG said, "Can we give this to Clapper?" I said, "Yes, give it to Clapper." You know, everybody knew, everybody had it. Clapper than James it. Clapper. Yes, <laughs> that that Clapper. <laughs> exactly. And then they they went to the legal the FBI office. Senator Snow did. Guess who got it from the FBI? Andrew McCabe. <laughs> okay, I can't make this stuff up. I can't. <laughs> and so again, I took it up to um, one of the key staffers that lived up right up the hill from me. Uh, Tom Sheehy, because he was working for Chairman Royce, Ed Royce, who was the chairman over the State Department's for, you know, for oversight on the House side. Right. I mean, I'm Michael sorry, Allen. This is like so comical. Like Chairman I, I, Mike Rogers got it. OK, but you, you get my point. Everybody got it. And then all of a sudden the wrath happened. They then instead of. And I said there was one person other than myself that needed to be protected, and that's the only person I trusted, and that's the person that I would provide everything and anything that I know because that's the only one that I trust, and because that person was the key witness to support everything that I'm saying in terms of witnessing where I was on August 7, 1998, to prove that I was no, I was had nothing to do with what happened at the embassy. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. To this day, they've never let us talk. And they did not protect him. And they never contacted him. And instead, what they did was massively retaliated against me because more and more stuff is coming out. Next thing you know, Linda Thomas-Greenfield is working with somebody at the Pentagon, gets me removed from the Pentagon. I'm over at the State Department. And instead of, and I'm, you know, trying to talk to everybody, but now realizing the enemy was within, right? Mm -hmm. I did everything I could to protect myself. Um, and then they had me involuntarily committed to the Virginia Hospital Center. But I don't want to go into all that yet, okay? But, but let, let, me just, let me just make a little statement on that. This is a common tactic. We've talked about it with Tom. Uh, we've talked about it with other whistleblowers. It's one of the things they do to try to permanently discredit you right. and and everyone that we've talked to that has gone through that are like exceedingly intelligent people like there there's <laughs> no way that their their story is valid uh they just do this as a label to create a paper trail so they can always combat whatever is said it's just a common tactic folks don't read anything into it beyond that well, so they, should, they, should actually, they should actually name those hospitals disaccreditation wards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you for this Virginia Hospital Center in Arlington, Virginia, where, of course, all the CIA and all the FBI and everybody is, right, held the U.S. Navy, U.S. Marine Corps detox rehab contract. And the military <laughs> didn't know. Okay. <laughs> This is like, this is government and everything. Okay, so fast forward. 
I'm doing everything I can to keep my head above water, right? I'm charging out all my annual leave. So finally, I got it to the point where I got it all the way that I could give Secretary John Kerry, U.S. Navy, okay, U.S. Senator, and now a part of Joe Biden's administration, right, gave him through Patrick, Ken uh, through Undersecretary for Management Patrick Kennedy, um, my not resignation letter, but to say, hey, I'm about to resign. And, I, I, you know, eventually in due, in due time, I'll share the contents of the letter that I gave to him. But Pat Kennedy gave it to John Kerry. I know that. Okay. I said, if I don't hear back from you, I'm going to resign on, on effective September or September, October 1. And I didn't hear anything. So I submitted my resignation September 30th, effective October 1. On, September, on October 16th, I 2013, I receive an email. No, at this point in time, <laughs> my dates. Yeah, 2013. So at this point in time, um, I receive a letter from the acting director general, Hans Klom, on behalf of John Kerry saying that they accepted my resignation. I'm like, cool. I have washed my hands of this RICO criminal enterprise that they call a government. You know what I mean? And I'm getting ready to move on, move forward. I was even actually about to work with a private investigator that had special forces background. Okay. Nobody's clean. Okay. And I'm like on my very way, I'm getting ready to, you know, get my finances together after they destroyed what I had previously from Stuttgart, Germany, um, to move on, move away. And all of a sudden, there is an emergency motion dropped at my doorstep without letting me know, telling me that I need to come in immediately to the Commonwealth of Virginia. Now, mind you, this is all a federal national security matter, a federal employment matter, but I get an emergency, uh, emergency court order saying that I have to report immediately to Arlington County to a a judge that, by the way, had U.S. Navy, U.S. Marine Corps background, to um, bring me back against my will back onto the State Department payroll. Okay, and then had me <laughs> well, hold on. Wait, this is after they sent you to the psych ward, right? Oh, not yes, the, <laughs> yes, exactly. So you back on the payroll after they've sent you to the psych ward, and right. and accepted her resignation, and accepted my resignation. They okay. brought me back onto the State Department payroll against my will. Go government! Against this country, and this is John Kerry, okay, Joe Biden, okay. The retaliatory actions happened against me under President Barack Obama and Joe Biden. Joe Biden committed a felony offense. Therefore, he was ineligible to even run for president to begin with. Yep. Well, he okay. didn't win. We all know that. We all know he's a he's a fraud. But no, if I have, in, to your audience, I have continually told the Department of Justice and the FBI, I hereby file a charges accordingly. He should was ineligible to run to begin with. And he knew what was happening to me. Because he was a senator at the time of August 7, 1998. He was a senator that wrote the law that was enacted that protected me, as was John Kerry. 
he was probably too busy, you know, taking showers with his daughters get, or getting his leg filled up in the pool, you know, in his community pool and filling his hairy legs. I'm just saying. Oh, exactly. But so, okay. So I resign, brought back against my will. And then guess what they do? They send me back to the Virginia Hospital Center. <laughs> so they put you on the payroll to send you back to the, the hospital center? To have me deemed incapacitated for life. <laughs> but they had to have you employed again with an emergency order to pull that off. Right. Wow. Okay, so now, now think of, just for the audience, think of the high level that this is coming from. Think of what the, they're, they're not being reactive. They're being proactive against Michelle at this point in time. And by the way, if, if you see Christy and I chuckling a little bit, it's not because we doubt the story of Michelle no. by any means. It's because of the small circles that run. And by the way, we'll we'll kind of cap off at the end of the show why uh, we're having a chuckle about that. But okay, so well, so now they've they've brought you in. So they're paying you to be insane, Michelle. That's kind of cool. Well, well but can I can I give a logic? I want our audience to think logically about this. Okay. So let's just say you are working for Target. Okay. And you get fired from Target. Target thinks that you are a horrible employee. They don't believe you. They think you are a liar. And the next thing you know, you are forced to come back into Target to work for them. Why would Target want you back in to work for them? Okay, so that they can then fire you. Maybe you've quit and they need to fire you so that it's on your record forever. And they need to deem it so that you are not even fit to be a cashier. And that would go on your public record forever. Basically, that's that's what they did to me. I can't, I can't help but way. say this, but uh, Christy, you're such a marketer. All you did was raise their prices instead of saying Target, they're Target. <laughs> they, they don't have to depend on the sales. So we can't be sued, Jeff, you know. <laughs> we can't be sued for using but their name. this is because... not just the Democrats. Because in the meanwhile, Chairman Rogers, Mike Rogers, Royce, Daryl Issa, Trey Gowdy, Jason Chavitz, Mark Meadows, that whole gang, Kash Patel, okay, Roger Zakheim, Michael Allen, Tom Alexander, okay, you see the boys, they all knew. In fact, they, why was I even allowed to go to the Virginia Hospital Center to begin with, considering that the Republicans knew? And did wow. nothing. And it right. wasn't until oh. after they then, uh, they, I mean, that's a long story. But needless to say, I finally met with Tom Alexander, one of the Benghazi key investigators, on May 1, 2013, after I, they got me out of the Institute. Because after Virginia Hospital Center... I appealed my case immediately and they were all flabbergasted because they had never had somebody appeal, uh, you know, an involuntary capacity, but because I knew what this was about, I'm like, Oh no, 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 I'm fighting. I'm kicking and screaming every step of the way. So I appealed it. 
And then what they did was then they misspelled my name in the general district court, right? When they transferred the file over the, to the, the circuit court so that people wouldn't connect the dots as to that it was who was the initiators to begin with. So wow. it looked like- And that's a common government tactic. They just oh. changed one letter in the one name letter. or whatever. But, but Michelle, okay, uh, so uh, our audience is of the opinion, or at least I think most of them agree with us that it's a uniparty. There is no left and right. right. That's a complete pair. It, it, that's just people, we're, we're past that. We understand it. But that's why I just want to emphasize name. that I'm not partisan here, that, that both sides, there's treason that has occurred. Oh, oh absolutely. absolutely. But there's absolutely. one name that bothered me in that list that you mentioned, because I, I can go along with every one of them, especially as I knew Trey Gowdy was a snake. You know, yeah. I, I knew these. And, you know, when you see someone get their when they get their jobs on Fox and stuff like that, you just know. Uh, but Cash Patel. That's what I was going to say, Jeff. I don't think people. People I think he's a good guy. I hope he's a good guy. <laughs> then we why hasn't he outreached to me once can cite my numerous comment uh, outreaches to him? Jeff, maybe we could reach out and find out. See if we can get Cash Cash's attention. I don't know. Let's do it. He knows. Okay. I'm going to try and a couple Chris of different so, I mean, we're talking special forces here. Mm -hmm. We already got the Marines. The special. No one's innocent here. Nope. No one is innocent. Yep. Miller as well. Well, they all, uh, well, okay. Like there's so many rabbit holes. Okay. I mean, the whole Vaughn Bishop thing, Cash Patel and Vaughn Bishop. Why did they go after Vaughn Bishop? But Vaughn Bishop was the chief of staff or the chief of station in Embassy Nairobi at the time of the bombings. They all knew it had to deal with Embassy Nairobi. Oh, everybody, right? Okay, so, so. It, now, now, hold on. I, I just got to play this out a little bit here. And, I, and I'm not trying to disagree, but, uh, you know, some people who follow, you know, the, the Q thing and stuff like that, they would say, it's just not time for disclosure yet. So maybe that's why you've been put <laughs> on the back burner because the major disclosure is coming and then all the pieces will fall in. So what would you say to someone who would say that to you? I would say this, and and Jeff, you have the time. You have the uh, timeline of events, right? I do. I, I've sent you the PowerPoint. Okay, we can go down these these rabbit holes, but on May 18, thousand thirteen, I filed an Office of Special Counsel complaint because of what had just happened to me for the first go round, right? Mm -hmm. And then. Because of the delays, I went through the Merit System Protection Board. I eventually got it into the um, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. Okay? When it was in the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, I because I just did not understand what was going on, all of a sudden, with all this, and I was pro se during all this, right? I actually put in James Baker the general counsel of the FBI and brought him in as a service to send a shot across the bow. Okay. And still nobody stepped in and intervened. So don't you find it interesting during these January 6th hearings that one of the judges for the fourth circuit during my appeal was J Michael Luggett that they just had on. Wow. Sussman, 
he sent an e he sent those emails to Baker. It's all oh, interconnected. Hold on. So that that's on everyone wants to control the world. Uh, right. Everyone wants to rule the world. So that's the one. I had the wrong one up. I had, I had to appeal, appeal, appeal. My U.S. Supreme Court case filing was filed on August 16, 2016. Pro se. I officially filed my petition on petitioner petition for writ of certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit becoming United States Circuit Court or Supreme Court case number 16-223. That and, was and so people that's August. verifiable. You can look that up. Yeah. And before pro se means that Clinton, that you had to, pro before the Clinton you had to Trump presidential yourself, election. Right? Michelle, pro se means you had to file everything yourself too, correct? Right. Okay, and so I want everybody there, to understand that. So and in there, you're, because you're I knew exactly, I'm sorry, I'm talking to you. Your incompetency, I'm just trying to make sure our audience understands that you're you're so incompetent. Keep in mind, they've already filed, they've already said how incompetent you are, but yet you've managed to file things in the court of law, pro se, for yourself. To the Supreme Court. Yeah, to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Okay. But you're incompetent, remember, but you're incompetent, according to our these government and, officials, John Kerry. And this was filed August 16, 2016, before the Clinton-Trump presidential election. And in this, and this is where we're going to get back to the money. In this, because I knew exactly what this is about, this was back to, remember I told you back in 1991, we found the diversion of funds? on And I did not know this at the time because I was at Embassy Moscow when 9-11 happened. But I was flown back to attend the trial in New York, which happened in June of 2001 before 9-11. Okay? Yeah. So I had two data points at this point in time. The one that Secretary Rumsfeld himself openly disclosed to the American people of the $2.3 trillion missing unaccounted for in the Army accounting section that supposedly was the, the target of the next day that it's taken out. Do you realize how big the, the Pentagon is? Yes. For that to happen, for that exact location, because the explosions happened before the explosions happened up in New York. But the point is $2.3 But what he didn't say is $2.3 of the larger number, mm -hmm. right? Susan right. Lindauer on December 27, 2014, referenced the over $14.6 trillion of black operational monies that was discovered to be missing and unaccounted for, right? Mm -hmm. So by that time, I had the 2.3 and I had the 14.6. In my Supreme Court case filing, I listed the 14.6 trillion. What I did not know about until just recent was in 2003, U.S. Treasury, U.S. Secret Service agent Leo Wanta had in the federal court in the Commonwealth of Virginia in Alexandria of a federal lawsuit of over $27.5 trillion of ruble-crushing trust funds of 2003. All this money, so if I had to write my Supreme Court case filings right now, it would be of the $44.4 trillion that we discovered to be diverted back in 1991. 
And that's why they had to remove me is because they knew I was on the original audit team. And just so just think of what the U.S. debt is and then look at that number. <laughs> you know, just and, and ladies and gentlemen, if you think of all the taxes that are collected and everything else, the numbers just don't add up to what no. the government gives you back. And these black budgets, I'm telling you, uh, not a penny collected by the IRS goes to help you or your family. No. Okay, now, Jeff, you had mentioned earlier when to bring up some... Can you bring up the superseding indictment? I can. Okay. So I, uh, Susan, Susan Rice is all over this stuff. Okay. I can't even make this stuff up. So in, let's see, what was it in April or I guess it was, uh, March and April of 2000. I was going to Russian language training at Foreign Service Institute, State Department's Foreign Service Institute, when the U.S. Department of Justice, Southern District of New York, Assistant U.S. Attorney, AUSA, Ken Karras, accompanied by U.S. Department of State, Diplomatic Security, Special Agent, and DS Case Agent at New York Field Office, Joint Terrorism Task Force, Jim Minor, came to visit me at the State Department. I'm not going to go into all the detail right now, but needless to say, one of the things I was outraged about was the fact that there was no charges for my staff that was killed. And I was furious. Okay. And they were also one of the most severely injured. Livingston Matahana had been brought back and was at Walter Reed. And that's one of the reasons why I took the assignment to Russia so that I could have a year of language to be uh, help him through his recovery because he was blinded. He suffered incredible brain trauma and he was at Walter Reed. Okay. So May 8th, 2000, as a result of my discussion with Ken Karras, AUSA, um, Mary Jo White, and uh, the AUSA at the time, and the assistant, the assistant director in charge of New York FBI office, Barry Mon, put out this joint superseding indictment for immediate press release. Okay? But Jeff, what can you do? Can you bounce to page five? Yeah. The reason why they sent this to me is because I'll read this paragraph really quickly. The superseding indictment also contains additional counts relating to the murder of employees of the United States government, including Kenyan and Tanzanian citizens who worked at the American embassies in Nairobi and Dar es Salaam, as well as diplomats protected by international treaties. The indictment also contains additional covert acts, not previously specified, overt acts, not previously specified, the trial for this case has been set for September 5th, 2000. Okay? That's why they sent it to me, because they said before my discussions with them just a month prior, nobody brought up about this issue regarding my staff, fellow U.S. government employees of another nation that died for our flag. So that's why they sent it to me. 
But I would really love is for you to go to page six. Now, mind right. you, this is... go ahead. Yeah, I'm on page six. Okay, so this is from Mary Jo White. This is her stated, quote, this latest superseding indictment illustrates the commitment of the United States working with law enforcement agencies around the world to bring to the bar of justice every single person responsible for the wanton murder of hundreds, Jeff, hundreds of innocent victims of every nationality, religion, walk of life, and injuries to thousands of others. The harm and suffering done to the victims and their families in the bombings of our embassies in Kenya and Tanzania on August 7, 1998, will never be forgotten, and they can rest assured that efforts to apprehend those responsible will continue without let up. Now, if you can go to page seven. Yes. And Michelle, where is um, Miss White today? Uh, she is, well, then after that, she went to uh, the Security Exchange Commission, and now she's a private attorney. And she's aware accordingly of my case and my situation has never gotten out, gotten back to me. Okay. Okay. So this is what, remember, Christy, this is August 7, 1998. Mm -hmm. She's had plenty of time to get back with you. No, no, no. Not 9-11. No, I know. But I'm saying August 7. So wait till I read these. Okay. These are the members of the task force for August 7, 1998. Miss White and Mr. Mon said that's the FBI guy said the investigation of this case is being conducted by the Joint Terrorist Task Force composed of the FBI. Oh, of course. <laughs> the New York City Police Department? Why? Yeah, embassy in Nairobi. The United States Department of State, got it. The United States Secret Service. But Jeff, this isn't about the money. And you have to understand, Secret Service was under Department of Treasury at that point in time. Wow. The United, oh, this isn't it. The United States Immigration and Naturalization Service, INS, the Federal Aviation Administration. The Did FAA. You know what, into? what does the FAA have to do with this? The United States Marshal, Marshal Service, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, the New York State Police, and dun da da da. The Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Because the Port Authority is so close to Nairobi, Kenya. Well, and let's talk about the the New York police. That's policy upholders, not law enforcement. Notice there's, you know, they're not even New York City Police Department, New York State Police Department. Where is the sheriff? Where, you know, if you're going to have the police involved, why not have the sheriff and real law enforcement involved oh no but here we go then this is also this is a long continuum that we're going to get back to miss white 
And Mr. Mon also noted that the new Scotland Yard officials in the United Kingdom have played and continue to play a critical role in the investigation of the embassy bombings and thank those officials for their continued cooperation in this joint investigation. Miss White and Mr. Mon also thanked law enforcement authorities in Kenya, Tanzania, for their continued cooperation in this investigation. Assistant United States Attorneys Patrick J. Fitzgerald, remember the Valerie Flame? Kenneth and M. Carras, Michael J. Garcia, and Paul W. Butler, who then went to the work at the Pentagon soon after this case to work with Rumsfeld. And Garcia, didn't he do something with uh, the uh, uh, not uh, the uh, the soccer? Wow. Okay. Are in charge of the prosecution. Now, what I would like to do is fast forward to this. And we can go in. I didn't send this to you, Jeff, but it's documented. What was the last, the priority for Winston Churchill's OSS CIA Attorney General William Barr before he stepped down on December 23rd, 2020? On December 20th, 2020. Lockerbie. Remember I told you back when I was with DCAA, when did Lockerbie happen? December of 1988, just months after my referral regarding the black operational funds of a major defense contractor in the McLean Tyson's Corner area. That's Attorney General Barr's priority as he stepped down before he stepped down. Durham's current trial, a recent trial with Sussman. Leaking Sussman into the timeline events, which I concluded in the PowerPoint, which we're not going to have time to go over now. The current January 6th commission with J. Michael Ludic, that was a sworn participant that knew about my appeal and Liz Cheney, Ivan Rankin, Green Beret, I contacted accordingly, never got back to me. So is this one long continuum or what? Now the big tell-all is this, the truth withstands the test of time, forwards and backwards. In essence, my first book that I wrote which has been delayed and it's intentionally and purposely delayed in its publication for two years now is the forward. Backwards is in essence, the three draft books I have after being what, almost a year on David Zublick, part one, June, Friday, June 1, 2021 to part 52, just a couple weeks ago, Okay, where I go into deep dive of the 9-11 Commission website itself, participants, the hearings, trash it, go into individuals, go into the 51 supposed intelligence experts. How many of them had links to my case and my situation? Did nothing, right? Hunter Biden, all that is, that's an Office of Naval Intelligence uh, uh, operation that has just gone massively uh, disarray. 
Steve Bannon is linked into it. Eric Prince is linked into it. Steve, uh, what's his name? Kofor uh, Black, Hunter Biden. Okay. UK, US and UK money laundering in UK or in Ukraine that was shut oh, yeah. down. Oh, yeah. Okay. You see how the tentacles are like, I can't even make this stuff up. No. Because we, we, we're, we're brainwashed by the media and Hollyweird to think that all of this, you know, the way this happens is all fake, you know, because they've put it out as fake that people don't even want to listen. They don't, they think it, it just is fake. But the reality is that's where the stories come from. They're telling you the truth. Now, Jeff, I also sent you that other Washington Post article called the ultimate joint statement. You did. Yes. Were you able? I know I, I bombarded you. I don't know if you had a chance to look at that. So I did. Show, one other thing, when you're talking about the 9-11 commission, uh, one thing um, too, that there's AE911truth.org, that there's over 10,000 scientists, architects, um, and many other um, influencers that have come forth, attorneys, firemen that were there that day that say that it did not happen the way that the government is saying that it happened. And it's absolutely impossible. They have brought to the attention that the American government only has spent about $2 million on the nine, the whole 9-11 commission has only validated like $2 million to spend on that investigation. So they've asked for a new investigation. They've been asking for it for years and um, they know it's a big fat lie. So um, oh, Christy, I'm, happy, I'm happy you brought that up because like I said, I was flown back from the embassy from Embassy Moscow to attend the sentencing portion of the embassy bombing trial. We stayed at the World Trade Center Marriott. What happened three months later, right? Mm -hmm. But do you know also what was also in World Trade Center Seven? Remember Gold. World Woman Enron? Mm -hmm. Yeah, all the CIA fronts on American soil. Yeah. That the Department of Justice had all their files to litigate against Enron were destroyed in World Trade Center 7. Yeah, but Michelle, Americans are taught that how many buildings go down. So everybody comment right now. How many buildings went down in 9-11? Comment right now in the comments. Okay. Because most people believe that it was two buildings. Michelle, how many buildings went down on 9-11? Many. At least three. Yeah, I think there's actually I've heard there's reports that a couple others went down as well, but definitely three minimum. Yeah. yeah. And our embassy was also a controlled demolition, as was the building next to us that collapsed that I can show you all the photos of. OK, but and then that same commission, the 9-11 investigators that came up with that story. Guess what they recently investigated here in Miami, Florida? What? The Champlain Towers collapse. Oh, yeah. That happened after my comments on David Zublick when I first started. Mm -hmm. Just like the guy about the Clinton uh, tarmac, Lynn's tarmac story was suicided right after mm -hmm. my comments. Okay. Well, it's all tied in. And, yep. and the good news is you you have documented a lot on, on that other show, but uh, we're not behind a paywall. So you get to hear it here uh, <laughs> free and clear. But we need to bring in another angle to this. And that's why I want Jeff to bring up the ultimate joint statement. 
Now, I don't know how much longer we're going to go because I don't want to read this whole thing, but this is something we can pick up. But at least I want to tune it. Well, everybody. why don't we just tease it? Because it, it wasn't, because uh, I don't have it up right now and it would take me a little bit to get it open and, and right. over to the other screen and stuff. But uh, it, it is a Washington Post article that dates back to what, 1998? Okay. So August 7, 1998, embassy bombing. August 9th, 1998, I don't know if you know Christopher Fulton. I got to know Christopher Fulton. Once I heard about Christopher Fulton's story, his book is called The Inheritance, Poison Fruit of JFK's Assassination. Once I heard about his story, I immediately got the book and I read it the cover to cover and I was outreaching to Christopher because the overlap of his storyline and my storyline is that exact weekend. August 7, 1998, the embassy bombings. August 9, 1998, Christopher Fulton, who supposedly met with John F. Kennedy Jr. in Florida months prior, because he has the infamous Cartier watch, was arrested in Canada. So if you can at least just pull up the link, oh, you, you can't pull, we're not going to read it at all. Just so people can see, they can go to it and read it themselves. All right. The okay. The Give me a moment. I'll, I'll have it open. Just keep talking. I'll, I'll, I'll get oh, it. Oh, very good. The ultimate joint statement was written by William Drozdiak on August 10th, 1998, uh, Washington Post. And this is about the infamous wedding that occurred during this exact time frame. And it was between, and it was held in Rome with CNN Christian Amanpour and U.S. State Department Jamie Rubin, Secretary Albright was there in attendance, as well as many, 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 many other officials to include John F. Kennedy Jr. himself. So as I have openly stated over and over and over again, if this is true, that John F. Kennedy Jr. is indeed alive, he needs to be sworn in immediately for military tribunals because what has happened at that long weekend was treason. And therefore, if he was an accomplice, knowingly or unknowingly, he is now involved in this and he has some explaining to do. Well, so so the, the and that you know someone taking the other side would say, well, how is he an accomplice? He went to a wedding, uh, you know, just happened to be on the mm -hmm. same weekend. And you know what I would say, Jeff? Nobody can speak on JFK's Jr.'s behalf other than JFK himself, JFK Jr. himself. Just as nobody can speak on my behalf other than myself. But but for the audience, how how does him being at this wedding with Christiane Armanpour Arm, and the, the CNN people getting married, how does that well, I haven't him? read the whole entire thing and I haven't provided all the context as I did for almost a year on the other show to show yeah, how but, it's all but, tied that's in. A, that's a reasonable question because if you, we pulled up this article uh, and you mentioned his name, so if you could just at least bridge that gap, how does that 
get him involved and where why is he somehow responsible or have to answer questions well he has to answer questions he was at an event where cnn if you read the article do you want me to read the article out loud i think you should because it's brought up jeff i think what i think definitely all right let's cover it yeah okay so this is the ultimate joint statement by william drozdiak august 10 1998 and Jeff and Christy, when I read this, you tell me there's absolutely no messaging or coding going on. Okay? Sure. Um, and this is the Washington Post. Amid the medieval splendor of a hilltop fortress 30 miles north of Rome, State Department spokesman Jamie Rubin and CNN star correspondent Christian Amanpour exchanged wedding vows Saturday in a celebration where, for once, personal priorities triumphed over matters of state and the demands of journalism. Mm. In back-to-back Catholic and Jewish ceremonies, one held in a small church, the other outside near the reception area, the power couple sealed a union that was kindled 15 months ago over late-night margaritas in Sarajevo, there we have the whole entire uh, Kosovo drama and later flourished during the course of whirlwind weekend trist and countless transatlantic phone calls over a four course dinner that followed the ceremony in a banquet hall filled with the busts of Roman generals. Reuben declared that meeting Amapur finally resolved his arduous quest to find a soulmate who would re represent his other half. Amanpour said she felt the same way, but wanted her spouse to know that he should not harbor any illusions about wifely obedience. The difficulty in fitting marriage into their hectic work schedules, which will keep the couple shuttling between London and Washington, at, and the bombings were in, Queen's British Commonwealth countries as they try to squeeze con uh, conjugal visits in between news cycles was highlighted on the eve of the wedding by the terrorist bombings targeting U.S. embassies in Nairobi and Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. Sensing that Reuben may be, might be porn, torn between professional and marital loyalties, U.N. Ambassador-designate Richard Holbrook had offered to serve as Reuben's stand-in at the nuptials if his presence were required in Washington. Reuben's boss, Secretary of State Madeleine Albright and previous UN ambassador had flown into Rome early Friday hoping to attend the wedding of her trusted consulary. But after learning about the devastation wrought by the bombings, Albright turned around after spending only five hours on the ground and flew back to Washington to deal with the consequences of the attacks. The wedding drew 250 friends and family members, not surprisingly, given the bride and groom's respective professions, such as, or much of the conversation surrounded the nuptials focused on the strained relationships these days between media and government. On Amanpour's side of the aisle, there were 
Tom Johnson and Gerald Levin, her chief executives at CNN and Time Warner. Friends from ABC, Robert Eager and Willow Bay also attended along with college chum, John F. Kennedy Jr. and his wife, Caroline. In Rubens Corner, there were senior White House, this would have been Clinton White House officials, White House political advisor, Sidney Blumenthal, and Deputy National Security Advisor, James Steinberg, who later would come into the State Department under Secretary Clinton. That's my addition. Seeking to for, forge common ground, Leon Whistletire, the New Republic's literary editor, extolled the couple and the, uh, the love that seemed to defy the hostile climate that prevails in briefing rooms. He praised Reuben as a conscience, a conscience in a sharp suit and expressed admiration for Amapur's nobility of spirit and her passion of objectivity in pursuing news stories. After deciding to hold their wedding to this idolic perch overlooking Lake, I'm going to butcher this, Rashiano. There you go. Thank you for the assistance. Ruben, 38, and Amapur, 41, were determined to keep the infamous Italian paparazzi at a safe distance. In the end, Italian newspapers expressed disappointment at the meager turnout of celebrities, which is just the way the couple wanted it. CNN's international editor, Eason Jordan, offered apologies for the absence of Ted Turner and Jane Fonda. He noted, with tongue only slightly in cheek, that Turner suffered from a, quote, psychosomatic illness, end quote, when somebody else was in the spotlight and thus could not bear to show up at the wedding of his star reporter. During a series of toasts and roasts to the couple, maid of honor Diana Bello recalled how her friend's drive and energy was probably forged at the strict Catholic convent school they attended in Essex, England. Amapur was introduced to her as a Parisian princess. Bello remembered, but her earthly um, isolence quickly dissipated any fears she might be a spoiled aristocrat. Best man, Peter Pringle, a, a British journalist who became friends with Reuben during his stint with Albright at the United Nations in New York, noted that Reuben was renowned for his sponging habits especially around mealtime. That view was endorsed by Reuben's friend, John B. Rich, U.S. ambassador to U.N. agencies in Vienna, who remembered offering Reuben's a chance to crash in his bachelor garret and found that two weeks turned into four years. Impromptu cabaret skits featuring media and government officials banding together as the Fortini brothers and the Sistine Sisters also focused mer uh, mercilessly on Ruben's foibles as a spokesman who once nearly lost his job by arousing President Clinton's ear through misunderstanding over using carrots and sticks in dealing with Iraqi dictator Sudan 
Hussein. By the time the party wound up with dancing till dawn in the courtyard of, okay, here's another one, guys. Otisgali Otis Castle. Otisgali. Otis Very good. <laughs> and you don't actually know how to say this, but if you say it with an Italian flair, it sounds right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I just don't got that Italian flair yet. <laughs> Reuben and Amapur were dashing toward the airport to catch a plane that would take them on a three-week honeymoon at a luxury game preserve in Botswana. I think that's another Queen's Commonwealth country, as yes. was Christian Amapur, a subject of the Queen. From, back from Far from Washington, but not far from the big news story of the week, caption. Christian Amanpour and J.B. Rubin had Catholic and Jewish weddings. Caption, Christian Amanpour and Jamie Rubin leave the church of uh, Santo Stefano after the Catholic portion of their wedding ceremony. Amanpour's colleague chum, John F. Kennedy Jr., attended to the wedding with his wife, Caroline Wright. And, the call, and this was called the ultimate joint statement. Well, you know what's really interesting is you're right. They did mention his chum college buddy twice and Caroline twice. So and it ends with it, which is really strange. Jeff, you're breaking up or something's happening with your mic. Yeah, you're you're coming in wobbly. (laughs) Something's happening. I tried to text you. So if everybody saw me looking down, I was trying to text you to say check your mic connection. They, they do this to him every once in a while, Michelle. They they definitely don't want Jeff to be able to speak either. <laughs> now, that being said, I do have a lot of theories about John F. Kennedy Jr. and the John F. Kennedy assassination writ large. My conjecture, big conjecture being John F. Kennedy was not assassinated. The Army Special Forces uh, protected him, and he was, he was flown, and he was kept on Aristotle and Assis' island. That being said... I also, my conjecture is um, when John F. Kennedy Jr. started his magazine, George, it was uh, not George, you know, people were thinking that he was talking about George Washington, which I do believe there's an aspect of that, George H.W. Bush, which I do not believe was the the, the chief uh, uh the, the the chief in charge of uh coordinator of the JFK assassination attempt but it was indeed and I go into if you want to look into or we can go into a deep dive about my comments about animal farm as well 1984 George Orwell George Washington which is in essence the subtle hint that it was actually former British Prime Minister Church and, uh, Winston Churchill, that was the chief orchestrator. And as the Kennedy assassination attempt was on November 22nd, 1963, Winston Churchill, who, by the way, was in Parliament from, what, 1900 to 1964, absent 22 to 24, only two year period, died only soon after on November 22nd, 1963. 
I mean, I, uh, I'm sorry, died on January 24th, 1965. But since wow. none of this was out in the light, nobody knew all this was taken care of. And when Robert F. Kennedy dumped the casket out to sea, I believe it truly did contain uh, John F. Kennedy's body because that's where he wanted to be buried. He is not buried in John in, in Arlington Cemetery. Is my mic working better now? No, no, it's terrible. It's like breaking up. It's 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 like crunchy, if you will. All right. Now, did I give you a lot of rabbit holes or what? You gave us a lot of rabbit holes, Michelle. And I'm just going to say that I definitely think, I don't know what Jeff's thinking. And, and considering that <laughs> the oligarchs that are in charge of his microphone right now don't want <laughs> him, to, him to be able to ask what he's thinking. Uh, I would love to to have you, you know, come on and tell, you know, more of what you know. One, two. Oh, that's better, Jeff. There you go. I, I believe in redundancy, so I have more than one mic. Oh, good. good. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Jeff. Listen, uh, just... you have to, because these people come after us. And actually, I, I just a quick story. Um, and, and yes, please do put in the comments. There's so many rabbit holes that Michelle could go, go into. And she has some very compelling evidence to back up this stuff. Um <laughs> But one of the things that happened last time Michelle was on was I've never had my machine ghosted so much before. It turns out they were good guys, but it's still it still was kind of creepy, Michelle. Yes, <laughs> they it were, was. They were able to turn on and off my screen, turn on they and and they're just they're just bragging about it at this point. Like I'm going okay. Uh, if you can do that, dude, and I, you know, I'm giving them a thumbs up, and then they flash my screen a few more times. And listen, I've got all this VPN. I got all this computer security. It's bullcrap, people. I'm telling you, the it people is. who want to get in, they just get in. So you know what? Don't have anything to hide. And uh, you know, and um, Christy, just and Jeff, I just I want to. You know, I'm not a JFK conspiracist. Okay, I, I've never. I wasn't even born, but I have direct linkage met with, no, even by invited Ted Sorensen, who I met through his sister, Ruth Singer, during my first excursion tour in Cameroon in 1993 to 1995. I invited Ted Sorensen to the Army War College where I attended as a resident classmate, you know, in 2008 to 2009. So I have this connection to JFK, whether I like it or not. And when I was with Senator Olympia Snow uh, during that year, Ambassador Mary Ryan, which is another one that I definitely want to provide some insight on, passed away suddenly, unexpectedly. She is the one that they everybody was blaming that issued the visas for the 19 hijackers. I can tell you, oh. she didn't issue them. Mm. Okay? Let me put it this way. State Department didn't issue them. Or let me say this, the real State Department didn't issue them. Okay? So I was supposed to meet with Ambassador Mary Ryan when I was working up on the Hill with Senator Snow. She died suddenly. At the time, I was, sus I was suspect all along. 
But when I heard that her weight had gotten down to, she was nothing, eating nothing but crackers and water because her weight had dwindled down so much. They did everything they could to prevent me and her from meeting because they know that she would have told me something that I would have shared directly with Senator Snow. Mm -hmm. That being said, another one of my State Department colleagues, Rick Driscoll, was on his APSA fellowship with Senator Ted Kennedy. Because they knew I was so close to Ambassador Mary Ryan, they asked Senator Ted Kennedy's staff asked Rick Driscoll to ask me to provide input into the floor statement, the congressional record, which is documented, statement that Ted Kennedy submitted for historical record on regards to Ambassador Ryan. That's wow. documented. That's fact. So I have connection, Ted Sorensen. I have connection, Ted Kennedy. Now we have this this weekend of John F. Kennedy Jr. And that's all I'm saying, Jeff, is they know something. And I do believe that Robert F. Kennedy knew that JFK was never assassinated. Jackie knew, but the others may not have known. You know what? <laughs> There's so much to go on with you, Michelle. Uh, we're really glad that you're able to join us here today. Uh, I do have a couple things I want to close out with. Uh, and by the way, just as Christy said, put in the comments, which rabbit holes do you want us to go down? We're going to relay this feedback to uh, to Michelle and, and if she'll be gracious enough to come back on. Uh, we'll certainly want we'll give her the, what your comments are and we'll follow that path uh so I wanted to kind of close off with this, but uh, but stay tuned because I'm going to have an announcement about how you can find out a deep, dark secret. But Christy and I were visibly laughing because it's Madeline Albright. It's, it's Sussman. It's Perkins Coie. It's all these same names. And, uh, and by the way, I know Michelle shares this. This is why we have some confidence because that this whole thing is about to crumble folks. Mm -hmm. We're almost at the end of it. Are we, is it going to get worse? Oh yeah. I think this summer is going to be bad folks in many ways, but yeah. there is light at the end of the tunnel. What say you Christy? I, I say that they're going to try to recruit. Um, I believe they're going to try to recruit, you know, locals and new people to take these people's places. So I think that local politicians are going to have very much of a choice whether they wake up and realize what's happening. Um, and I think we, the people, either have to step up into those positions, as we've been told many times that we have to, um, yeah, yeah. or we have to fight against it. Um, and we, you know, we're not going to hear wait till 2024 um, we have viable evidence that the election was stolen, and I'm going to keep saying that over and over and over again, uh, by Pedo Joe. And Everyone knows it was yeah. stolen. So Everyone knows. We, we, but we have to talk to our neighbors and let them know. We, we don't give up on that it was stolen. We And so people are now coming around, even the Democrats who maybe voted for him. Um, for the three votes that he may have maybe got in your neighborhood, but we have to let those people know. And we have to have our oath keepers uphold their oath. Yeah. We, Jeff, we, if I can just plug one more thing. Yes. There is no statute of limitation for treason nor for murder. 
And right. that is why that is why Barr brought up Lockerbie as he walked out the door because he's sending the signal that there is no statute of limitation for treason because they knew Lockerbie was an inside job. And so is that one of the things that really gives you hope at this point in, in history, uh, Michelle, that we're coming towards the end of this? Yes, because at this point in time, and another thing, just like Clint Hill, he was Army uh, counterintelligence, right? And he's the last known survivor for the JFK, right? He has to come out and say what he needs to say before he passes on, mm -hmm. because treason also applies when someone's in their grave. Yeah. Okay. As is my sworn testimony, even if I'm taken out. Shows such as this, my book. Um, and when I wrote my book, we didn't talk about my book, but when I first did my first draft of my book, it was over 700 pages. And before I went under contract, the unedited, unpublished version was registered. I registered it with the Library of Congress registration office in June of 2020. So the first thing that happened when I went to a book contract, what's the first thing they tell you to do? Cut it in half. Mm -hmm. And the reason yeah. why I registered before I even went under book contract with the Library of Congress is so that if anybody says that I'm full of crap or whatever, I can say, go to the full document. 700 page manifesto. But as you can see, it's a lot more beyond that because I just wrote what had happened to me, the forward. Now, as you know, the the truth will withstand the test of time. We are now doing the backward because I mean, look what happened to Richard Holbrook in Senator Clinton's office. Okay, there are so many tentacles now on this thing. Was, oh, yeah. was he red scarfed? I don't. I don't know. I, I'm not sure of his story, Michelle. There is a lot of suspicion. He yeah. he was he was uh, he. It was a hanging by a flimsy electrical cord, but he was shot in the chest, and it was deemed a suicide. No. When, when, whenever, 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 Killary is involved or or Billy there, it's it's just suicide. Hashtag Clinton body count. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, listen. Did, we, we, did I do I good? Did I do okay well, here? You need to say where people can get your book, Michelle. Where can people get get the book, even the edited version? Is well, the, the point now? is, it's been purposely intentionally delayed for over two years. Okay, so it's not out yet. No, it's you not can out. Pre, was, you can pre-buy it. The last time I was on Jeff's show, and I also have the drafts of the other three books, but now I'm focusing on getting the least one out. Um, that that it was it's on Amazon as in uh, Trine Day Books as registered for pre-order. It was supposed to be published on May 13th, and then we had another little situation. And now I've been told by people that pre-ordered it contacting me it was delayed to August 25th, which I did not know about. But in an odd kind of sense. It's being published on the anniversary, the 24th anniversary of August 7, 1998. Oh, okay. That makes, so, honestly, from a marketing perspective, that makes good sense. Right. However, right. it doesn't let everybody know exactly what's in the book right now. Um, so, Michelle, do you, are they in your contract for the book? Is there a certain day that they have to publish by? 
Well, they're listing it on Amazon. No, but I'm saying in your contract, like in other words. No, I try to get that clause once Mm -hmm. the first year delayed. I try to put a clause in Mm -hmm. and I sent an addendum and I signed it, but that the other half didn't sign it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we just pray that it doesn't get, um, um, you know, that doesn't happen again. Because but those in the know that have access to the Library of Congress, the registrations office, they can go in. You know, I think others that wrote their books, that can't they go in and get it? I don't know if they, um, they can at least view that it, it's been registered with the Library of Congress since June, I think June 5th or June 6th of 2020. Although there was a delay by the Library of Congress that didn't get it back uh to uh officially registering it i submitted it on june 5th june 6th 2020 they came back to me on august 25th isn't that interesting about the date or around there uh saying that it was officially registered okay of 2020 but, but one of the things that so the audience i'm sure has no doubt that you wrote the book and, and submitted it to congress but the the fact is you just had a meeting with your publishers and they've said just get it out just get it out so um we're counting on that will come out and you can go to amazon and pre-order it uh make sure you do uh because i think i think this book's going to sell out pretty quick and And the name uh, change we're still in discussion of the name change of the title but it is looking like we're going back to instead of a memoir it is going to be an abridged testimonial of a u.s constitutional oath-taking u.s department of state um survivor and how can they find it on amazon what are the exact search terms that they they can look up right now they can look up tell the truth until they don't like what you have to say okay i I love love that that title (laughs) that's my i love that title so hey i told you i was going to close with something uh one of the things that our team is doing now our right on radio listeners who have joined our team we're talking about the dirty little secret you see just like in orwell and all these things it's the corporation that's rising and the corporation partnering with government and this is part of the takeover strategy but they have a really dirty secret that we're exposing when you sign up to mylibertystand.com and it gets really bad because they're actually using you to fund their dirty little secret and you want to find out about it and you want to have something to do about it, go to mylibertystand.com right now. And uh, hey, thank you very much, Michelle. Thank you, Christy, for being here. Uh, God bless each and every one of you for being here in the listening audience as well. Uh, We'll be back uh, we might do another show, apparently, <laughs> but definitely we'll be doing one on Sunday and, uh, and back on Tuesday and all, you know, regular schedule. We're back. We're back. Hey, thanks, everyone, for being here. Remember, love your God, love your family, love your neighbor, and make a difference in your community. Right, Christy? That's right, Jeff. And do unto others as you would have others do unto you. <laughs> You know what? You get this one for that. (laughs) Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on radio.